0: What's up everybody, welcome to the Jeremy Worden podcast where I have unique, interesting conversation with those who are earning a living, doing unordinary things. Uh, what I mean by that is not your classic nine to five and the theme of, of this podcast is taking action and, and Tommy is an action taker. Let me just tell you that. Uh, let's go into how I know Tommy, what what his background is and how every day he is leaving it all on the field, both figuratively and over the course of his life, actually, literally. Uh, so Tommy, tell us about yourself. What is your background? How do I know you?
1: Incredible intro, Jeremy. I refer to Jeremy as JMO, so you'll hear both sort of come out in today's conversation. Well, Jerry, I'm, I'm sure maybe you don't even remember how we first met, so I'll take it back to the, the great days of uh, Chapel Hill. So maybe we knew each other a little bit before this, but I think we really officially met and our friendship kicked off in Carolina square. So I played football. I came into Chapel Hill in 2015. Jeremy and I were in the same class. Fortunately, my football career ended after I started as a retro freshman and was an, an all American. Then I didn't really know what I was going to do next. So Why,
0: why'd your career end?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I, as I mentioned, started as a retro freshman and then going into my sophomore year, took a hit to the head. Uh, so just a, in practice, third day of training camp, routine hit to the head and, uh, woke up in the hospital, uh, and what ended up being concussed for six months. So it was a pretty profound experience to say the least. Couldn't leave a dark room for like three of those months. Couldn't do like human functions. And then, um, sort of when I got better, got my bearings, uh, Chancellor Guskowitz right? Kai fi son <laughs> right in the house. But, um, Chancellor Guskowitz was like, Hey, listen, uh, I don't think you should play anymore. It'd be suicide and met with a couple of doctors here in New York. And that sort of ended my football career. So gotcha.
0: And got you. Just, just not, not to cut you off. Here, yeah. but if, if anybody's interested in just Tommy's kind of preliminary pre entrepreneurship story, uh, ESPN actually, uh, it was ESPN, right? Yeah. ESPN actually covered, covered him and, and his uh, traumatic, you know, concussive experience as well as, you know, his uh, transition going from an all American football player to, I don't know, what what like a synonym. trying to make it in life, right? <laughs> That's why
1: we're in today's conversation. So yeah, no, definitely, you know
0: that that'll be linked. Uh, that'll be linked below. So for anybody who is interested in that, but uh, let's let's keep going here. So you have the concussion. Yeah, uh, you you said all right, probably shouldn't uh, put the helmet back on. I guess where uh, what what was like RK okay, What was like the thoughts going through your head of? Hey, I need to transition. Uh, like I need to figure out what the next steps in my life are.
1: Yeah, no, funny you ask. So I have a, this vivid memory. So I, after I had that meeting with Chancellor Guskowitz, it was right as we were leaving for fall semester. And this was in the fall of 2017 at this point. So I had the meeting with Chancellor Guskowitz. I sort of made the mental gymnastics in my mind that I wasn't going to play anymore. And I remember my parents were with me. They came for the meeting. They had driven down to Chapel Hill from New Jersey, and we were leaving Chapel Hill after that meeting. And I remember I'm like, I said to myself, I was like, I'm leaving here as a football player, and I'm going to come back, and I'm not really going to know who I am, right? Football had been my life since I had been in high school, even before. I really invested a lot of my efforts and um, time there. And I had a, a poster above my bed that said I'd play in the NFL. I mean, that's how seriously I was taking it. I didn't really read much. I was pretty—I uh, <laughs> wasn't the brightest. <laughs> Let's just put it uh, put it there. So he's, after-
0: he's modest. He's <laughs> like high IQ football player.
1: <laughs> football smart, but academics. You know, I people will say, "What would you major on?" Major in at a UNC. I say football. Just kidding. Uh, political science, but who's counting? So transitioning to your question. So um, I. Was like okay, what am I going to do next? And I started just reading a lot about technology, the stock market, a cryptocurrency. I just was trying to fill my time with anything possible. And you know, I met a guy from Glen Rock. I won't even say his name. Glen Rock's where I'm from, and he had this New, idea. New Jersey, New Jersey. Jersey. Uh,
0: Tommy is a Jersey boy. If you guys can't already tell,
1: Jersey in the house. So uh, he had this idea it was during the crypto heist to to sort of create a crypto mining company. At the time, he had a couple GPUs in the back room. And uh, to think the scale of <laughs> the digital minings, <laughs> the companies that are out there, it wasn't even close. Um, so that kind of prompted me into entrepreneurship. That's how I met Jeremy. We were trying to like stand up a website or something at the time or had a project. Jeremy was working on a number of different projects. He was busy as all get out. Uh, and so I started working on that. And then that sort of fizzled out. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. and. Jeremy, uh, I I owe him my life. <laughs> I'm just, you know, he he played a big uh, role in this. So funny enough, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was thinking about potentially doing banking in New York or just your sort of, let's just say, typical career. And Jeremy's brother Alex ran into my partner Sasha at Hartsfield Jackson in Atlanta. They had this idea for Learn to Win. He told Alex about it. Alex said, "Hey, you should talk to my brother Jeremy." Jeremy said, you should talk to my friend, Tommy. And that was in May of 2018. So talk to Sasha. He told me about the idea, which I can go into a little bit more detail here. And I will in a couple minutes. Um, and I was like, wow, this sounds really exciting. I talked to my dad about it, who has been in technology his whole life. And he said, hey, go for it. So joined a startup that was in a PowerPoint at the time, uh, zero product market fit. That was really ironed out. And if you could think of a garage startup, right? We literally started the business out of Keenan Stadium on UNC's campus. So that's as about as. a cool as, garage. Yeah, that's definitely. It's a, a better garage than most people have. <laughs> yes. It was, uh, we were fortunate in a lot of ways, but it was, uh, definitely when you think about startups and sort of scrappiness, it was about as scrappy as it comes. I have a ton of stories about just the early days of, you know, sharing Six of us in one hotel or Airbnb, sleeping on broken couches, just everything you can do to uh, make it and get some traction before raising financing. So, yeah, that's kind of what prompted me into entrepreneurship. I would say nothing there wasn't. I didn't know this would be the path. I had no sort of idea that this is what I wanted to do. But I think from my experiences, it was a perfect sort of fit, and I'm so blessed that it worked out this way. I actually had a question for you as. I was thinking about today's interview, you know, obviously people see your success and, you know, I've been a huge fan of you for so long. And we've all know that you're just scratching the surface of what you're going to do. Obviously you've built an incredible business, but I know the aspirations and dreams that you have, and uh, you're just getting started. So my question for you, Jeremy, in a long winded way is, did you know you were going to be an entrepreneur when you were young, or what was that moment where you're like, "Hey, I'm going to really go out there and sort of do it myself, or figure out how I can earn, you know, money and really be successful without this sort of corporate shelter that a lot of people sort of follow fall into or sort of follow as their career?"
0: Yeah, and it, and actually, I uh, kind of great great question, and and I think this will also kind of give some context of like where I was at in things, which I maybe, you know, and honestly I've not shared with you when we met each other. But, yeah, I, growing up, sports was was huge to me too. Like I played every, you know, I played basketball, soccer. I actually played football for a couple of years, and I actually got a concussion that also ended my football career. didn't end my athletic career. Um, you know, I played tennis. Like I, athletics was everything to me as a kid and, like, definitely very, very blessed, you know, that, you know, my parents – wanted us to pursue our, our passions. And, you know, my, my sister went to college and she actually played two sports in college. Uh, both of my siblings played sports in college. So that was, that was very important. And I played junior varsity basketball at the university of North Carolina. And uh, for me, you know, I'd, I'd always kind of in the back of my head, maybe even thinking I want to do something interesting and unique in the, in the long run, but really in the short run, like I want to give athletics, you know, everything I have. And I wanted to make the UNC varsity basketball team. That was definitely a huge goal of mine. And my so the way the UNC JV basketball team or the JV basketball program works is you're effectively uh, you know you're, you're training kind of uh, the JV program is 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 to train walk ons for varsity. Also, my my coach Hubert Davis now the varsity head coach go heels. Uh, so you know in, in many essences it was also. Training him as well to to you know for him to, to take the next leap, but either way, um, I played two years, and it was essentially evident for me my my sophomore year that I I, I you know I, I I'm a I'm always been a decent numbers guy, uh, and I was just doing the math, and essentially it's not going to work out for me. Uh, you know I can give as many hours as I've you know I've been in the gym giving so many hours it's just not gonna work out. Um, effectively, you know, a kid transferred to UNC who was my same position, you know, was taller than me, could hit his, you know, hit his head on the rim, <laughs> dunk between That's his tough. legs. yeah. Yeah, like, I, I mean. You'll DM I mean, up though. I would not, give him buckets, like, don't yeah. get me wrong, but uh, I saw the writing on the wall. So, and, and, and actually kind of like at that point, you know, I, again, I'd always thought, you know, business, thought I would be doing, you know, want to do something interesting in the long run. I applied to UNC's business school, and I honestly had good grades. Like I, I thought I, you know, I thought JV basketball was like a great extracurricular. Uh, I got rejected. I, I, I got rejected <laughs> <so> from, money. <laughs> from the business school. So I was like, yikes, <laughs> like, okay. Like, all right, I thought, you know, I thought I'd play basketball, maybe make the varsity team, then play you know, have be, you know, in the business school, and then that would obviously afford me like tons of job opportunities after after college because UNC's Keenan Flagler program is really good at placing people. But yeah, I got rejected. Uh so I was like, oh crap. All right. And then writing on the wall, I knew I wasn't gonna make the varsity team. Like I could have kept playing J V. Uh I would have been award you know, been able to keep playing, even though te- you're only technically supposed to play two years, but I was like, you know, one of the guys that would have let Kate keep playing. But I I just said, you know what? I I'm someone who I need to be like working towards a dream or like towards a, a passion. Like I can't just like I love playing basketball so much, but like I'm not really working I, I need a new dream so to speak. So after my, my sophomore year, uh, basketball season, that's like really kind of towards the end of it, honestly, as I saw the writing on the wall, that's when I was like, I'm going to, you know, I got rejected from the business school. You know, I kind of have a chip on on my shoulder at this point. I need to go after. I'm proving them wrong. I'm doing business. (laughs) I'm proving them wrong. I'm doing business. Like whatever that, and you know, that, You know the first thing for me, you know, the first thing that meant is like who else is trying to do business? Like, who, who at UNC has already done some business and that's what I did. Like I literally became friends with, um, you know, a couple, a couple examples, you know, Lucas Ritwick, yep. like guys who had, you know, tried either had tried previous ventures or had current ventures, uh, ended up, uh, teaming up with, with Lucas, um, you know, a friend and, and we started uh, a business first business. We started failed, you know, uh, definitely failed but we learned a lot.
1: Was that sil- syllabus? Syllabi. Syllabi. Syllabi.
0: So the concept was like digitizing. So everybody in college, they get uh, an electron essentially they, you know, you get a PDF document of what your syllabus is, you know, and it says when all your assignments are due, It's. it says how much percentage each assignment is worth relative to your grade, how much midterms are worth, how much finals are worth. So I was like, we could definitely digitize these syllabus and make it something like an application where you have all of your you could share, so you could digitize your syllabus and you could share it with your classmates and everybody would have, you know, you could have your schedule just clearly outlined for an entire semester, have it color coded. You know, people could comment on different things with one another. Uh, so we did that. We built that out. And actually at yeah, this time, I, I transitioned to computer science, uh, as, as my, you know, my course of study. So it was a, it was a cool project to build out. And actually we got a lot of, a lot of usage. Yeah, like, like people of all these different schools were using it. It was like, you know, kind of popular. Like I saw people using it, you know, which was cool. But, you know, it was a question of like, how do you monetize this? It's just like, are students willing to pay? And the answer was like, no, yeah. <laughs> they're not willing to pay for anything. <laughs> and like, we tried to like go and raise, like tried to raise some money and it just didn't work. You know, we were 20, 21, like we weren't going to Stanford. Uh, not a shot at Stanford, but my point is like I couldn't you know, we, we, we couldn't really raise money. There was no
1: teal fellowship at Carolina per se. No, you I mean, know
0: there was the entrepreneurship minor program and they were like helpful to an extent, but we yeah. even went up to them and tried to get their teacher, like the professors to like use it. And they just like they like shook up. They're like, Ugh. yeah, like it was it was crazy. Like, Tenure. <laughs> oh, One of my economic professors was actually like, oh wow, this is really cool. <laughs> like, this is like, and then like I actually built an iteration of it for them. Uh, I called it heel grades. Wow. And uh, she actually like let me go up and like tell the class about it. And that one like I mean literally everybody in the class used it. Wow. Uh, but like I can't go up to every single class. and yeah. like, Walk up to the front and and, and pitch things. So whatever it. You know, it, it failed. I'll, I'll say that. But the thing that came to it is people like, were like, Oh crap. You actually built like a legit application. Like it works. Like it's, you can go on your phone or on the computer and you can actually use it. And, uh, Hey, I've, I have an idea and I, we actually, our university, NYU, just gave us $50,000. <laughs> no, literally our first client was like, Oh, NYU gave us a grant to like go after this, uh, Market Vote. Market Vote was the name of, of their project. Like, hey, we see you guys can actually build something. Can you do it for us? Wow. And that's that was how so company Darkroom started. Was literally like actually, you know, we were going to a conference. Syllabi was going to a conference. And that was the point where I was like, dude, we can't just just, we, we're going to a, like an adult conference with like a child's product. <laughs> like, there's no. There bag- might be
1: a dilemma here. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what's going to come from this? Like, yeah. We're just
0: going to look like kids. Like, we have to actually have a service yeah. that we can like pitch to people at this conference. So, uh, and that that was where Darkroom started. Was like, we're going to this conference. We need to sell certainly. Like, we've we've proven in one instance that we can sell digital design and development services. Let's prove it to, you know, let's, let's sell. So we did that, went to that conference, uh, actually, you know, met a client, a crypto, crypto client that ended up actually becoming a legit client, uh, got through connections, ended up actually building, you know, pretty good client base around the world. We had some in New York, well, NYU, but Hong Kong as well. And it was really cool because we were just in college and we were, you know, we were on Zoom calls literally in our, in our, like our door. I guess we weren't in dorms at that point, but like our apartments. And uh it was kind of funny because like I'd be like, Oh, I'm at the, the New York office. And Lucas would be like, oh, I'm in the Los Angeles
1: office. You see my virtual background? Yeah. It's real. But we were in the
0: same building. I was yeah. like, dude, I I think they could tell it's like the same exact apartment. Like it, it literally looks exactly the same. Uh so yeah, then we we instituted the virtual background. So yeah. That really helped there. But yeah, so I think I think you uh you reached out to was it Lucas or Max initially? I think
1: Lucas. I think Lucas, I'm not I'm trying to piece how I met Lucas. I don't even remember quite honestly, but I remember I came to Carolina Square. We talked about the specs for this website. I didn't know anything at this point. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, like I kind of knew ish of Tommy because we did have mutual friends, but I think, I think Max was like, yo, I'm about to meet up with Tommy I in was the, Max. in the conference room downstairs. Like you want to come? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, Yeah. Why not? So then, you know, I came down, it was on my computer, you were on your computer and you were yeah. Talking
1: about, I don't remember the name. Junk crypto. crypto <laughs> I don't even know. Crypto mind. night. I think it was. My I, night. Whatever it was <laughs> at the time. No, but that's really, really cool. I mean, would you say there was lessons that you took out of syllabi that like, I guess, what were some of the early lessons you learned in syllabi that maybe you're applying to some of the businesses you're running um, in terms of like marketing or product development? Or what were some of the big takeaways from a learning standpoint if you had to summarize it?
0: Yeah. So actually not only did we weren't making money and we couldn't really raise money, uh, but also uh, someone sent us a seasoned desist letter. <laughs> so
1: so that'll that teach one. you, a, give you a lawyer well, la- law degree right there. <laughs> I, think, I think a
0: big theme with me in particular is like, you don't have to have, you don't need to know where the finish line is, you know, before you, you start running the marathon. Like I it was just like fuck it i got to do something you know and yeah, like at least got to take action at the bare minimum like i am going to use this product and you know to be frank like i don't give a shit if any nobody else uses it like i'm going to use it and like we'll make something out of it so i mean that was a lesson and like i didn't know where it would go and it ended up going turning into to darkroom which uh i'm i'm no longer uh, at at darkroom uh but, you know, it's a legit company. It has, I don't know, 100, 100 employees around the world. Um, uh, you know, offices or, you know, headcount in all these different places. Some
1: big clients, they have a ton of big clients around, around the, the world. So, yeah, no, it's, it's really a smart up. And I think there's something to be said about creating a product. And and you, you touched on this, but then really seeing people use it, right? It's yeah. like, holy smokes, I'm adding value, right? And, this was something that was like a little pet project that we thought about. Right. And then now it's a company that's funding, you know, us to actually go out there and, you know, build innovation. I think that's one of the cool aspects of entrepreneurship at at a very simplistic view. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have this idea, you go in there and you execute on it. And I think you sort of touched on something that is really important. Right. It's like, it's easy, if when you're thinking about starting a business or doing anything that's a venture, right. Whether that's a nonprofit or whatever you're trying to do, it's, it's, I feel like a lot of people sort of say, Oh, I need to plan this out and go like run all of this market test and like do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I need to go get a patent. Right. It's like, no, you just need to go out there and and start, get an MVP out, go out there and take action and figure out what you need to do. Like, Take the first step because it's hard to get momentum from a, you know, standing start. But once you get flowing a little bit, right? Once you start making things happen, you get momentum momentum and you start learning. And so for anyone who's thinking about doing a venture, just freaking go for it. Don't sit there and make excuses. You know, obviously there's, listen, that's, there's not, that's not a blanket answer. Obviously you need funding sometimes, there's different pillars. But I would
0: say, and and, and just like kind of for context, or I I do, obviously I'm short-term rentals, Airbnb's at this point, and we can kind of, obviously I want to share some context of my personal transition into that realm, as well as kind of hook in how some of the projects I'm doing now kind of actually tie into my past of building out applications. Uh, But if it's like, just in terms of what Tommy's saying, you know, anything we can apply today, also applies to starting, you know, an Airbnb business. Whether a startup, it's the same thing. You're starting a new business. Um, you know, cre- funding might not be venture capital funding. It might be, you know, business credit, uh, friends and
1: family, whatever it is, right?
0: Yeah. But there's there's huge parallels, uh, regardless.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think. It, I mean, obviously, technology. Well, all businesses. There's sort of startup cost, and there's you know nuances you have to think through. But I think more overarchingly, it's just take action right go out there take just the first step because it's so rewarding and it's so gratifying and don't get me wrong it is very freaking difficult I mean you know Jeremy has built an incredible social media presence but that is the tip of the spear this guy is grinding all the time seven days a week he's always at it he's always working I would say similar for me right last night I'm working
0: Take my ski trips. Yeah, so you take my- your.
1: I mean, listen. Everyone <laughs> deserves a vacation every once in a while, right? You got to do little human functions, but at the same time, largely, you know, you're grinding now. Yeah, you have a lot of flexibility. You don't have to go report to anyone or do anything like that, right? But you're grinding, and so that you know, the the reward is what we you put out and sort of what people portray you as, but they don't see the the day to day grind. They don't see the sacrifice. And I think if you are going to start a business whatever business it is, you need to be 150% in. If you even have a doubt, not a doubt of it's going to work out because you should have a little anxiety, right? It's, it's not a linear path that's 100% chance it's going to work out. There's a pretty profound statistic in technology that says like of companies that raise a seed round, only like 20% end up raising a series A of that only 20% raise a series B, right? So that's in technology. In every business, the statistical odds is that it's going to fail. That's not saying you're going to fail. I
0: would say Airbnb is kind of the one counter example. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, where it's like, if you just follow the textbook on how to do this, yeah. it would be hard for you to fail.
1: How How do you, I guess you've done it so successfully uh, and you're, you, know, you have so many cool projects and it works. From what you've seen, and I think this would be helpful for just the audience and everyone listening, how could you fail from an Airbnb standpoint? What are things that, from a project and execution standpoint, that you've seen people do that have made them unsuccessful from a short-term rental standpoint?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would say not running running one's numbers to begin with, not analyzing a property. I mean, I I think there was kind of a conception that people had that any willy-nilly place you put up on Airbnb and just no matter what is going to make money. Uh, Airbnb by itself is the, is the answer. It's not a, you know, platform that gives you an opportunity, which is really what it is and and what these other websites are is they are, you know, a new opportunity, but it's still, you need to still do things the right way. Uh, So yeah, I mean, I've seen folks who, Oh no, Airbnb bust. Uh, you know, my property is not making money. It's just like, well, how did you analyze things ahead of time? Oh, my realtor told me that like this area was a good area for Airbnb. Okay, do not bang. I've identified. How you failed? You just listened to your realtor. You know, the the realtor wanted to sell you. So a not house. doing the work. Yeah, not 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 doing the underwriting. Yeah, uh, not doing the market analysis, and not setting up the property right yeah. now. Not creating the right systems. I mean, there is. I, I would say that. Uh, you know, there's a degree, yeah. If you talk about oversaturation, so it's like, okay, I could have started in a good market and then it got oversaturated. Okay, well, it got oversaturated with properties that are performing, you know, that are competing against your property. Why isn't your property outperforming these properties? Well, I mean, when we started, uh, it was all good. So I didn't really think to change and do anything differently. Okay, so you didn't adapt. Uh, well, that's, that's kind of on you. Or, you know, yeah, maybe your property is just like, uh, commoditized property. You know, I, I for the most part try to have a differentiated, portfolio. Like I I would really say that pretty much all my properties, whether it be my Airstream Camper, whether it be lake houses, mountain houses, Florida beach houses, whether it even be like our apartments in cities, like there's something about them that in a way like makes them differentiated. uh, versus like, you know, kind of I would say the, the biggest example would be like the one bedroom apartments in a city where, you know, you might be able to do 10 of them in one building, but next thing you know, somebody can come next door and do 20 of them in that building. It's really kind of a, a game. Of, it's commoditized game, and it's a race to zero. Yep. I stay away from the race to zero. Uh, so yeah, some people definitely, you know, if you have some vanilla thing, and someone else is able to create a vanilla product as well that you know eats your eats your lunch.
1: It's who has the best mousetrap at that point. Yeah, Not the it's, best it's mousetrap. A race to zero. Yeah.
0: It's it's we got all lower prices to uh, boost our occupancy. So I would, I would say that, yeah, that that in itself is just like, you know, not understanding how to do things the right way, how to evaluate properties, and then executing is, is ultimately how one doesn't succeed in this game.
1: And and quick question, question there. Was that always your thesis? Like, was your thesis to always find these like, sort of very incredible properties and, you know, what, obviously vacation rentals, and there's so many nuances that you do, but has that been your thesis since the beginning? Or is that something that you sort of just... Adapted along the way.
0: Yeah. So let me let me take a step back here and kind of give additional context. A in our relationship, and you know, this will also kind of uh, say you know how where I am you know today, and kind of how our strategy has changed over time and thesis and and whatnot. You know, what's guided our investment principles and uh, going and also kind of just also kind of share when I when I kind of plugged you uh, yeah. with, with uh, you know the, your 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 business. Yeah. So yeah. So this was you know end up I think beginning of our junior year again we both we both stopped playing sports our sophomore year.
1: 2018 I right, right yeah, around like
0: yeah. junior beginning of junior year end of sophomore year what whatnot. Uh, yeah junior junior year we we met Tommy um uh, and just the first thing I remember about Tommy that I thought was hilarious and awesome like <laughs> you know much respect is him and Max was one of so was, you know one of my co-workers at that time you know co-business partners uh, Tommy was like, "Dude, let's just go around campus and make shit happen." And Max was just like, "Dude, I just went with Tommy like around campus, and Tommy just like started going up to like the business, the, the entrepreneurship professors, like the business professors, and just seeing what was good, <laughs> like just seeing what was happening, you know, what what where like what they were doing, you know, what business opportunities there may have been." And I thought that was, I thought that was just fucking awesome. So I was like, he, this dude's a go getter You know, I didn't really know him that well at the time, but like my friend telling me that he just spent all day walking around with Tommy, just literally trying to make shit happen. Like out of, <laughs> out of nothing. I didn't know what the fuck y'all talking about. But, uh, so then when just doing
1: stupid things faster. <laughs> yeah, when my,
0: so, and then at this time, actually, so end of my junior year, I, uh, separated ways with the, you know, dark room, the company, or at least, you know, I'm, I'm involved as like investor advisor a little bit at this point, but, uh, really, you know, day-to-day up op- you know, I, th- I thought I was going to go move to LA literally. I like, I thought I might even drop out of college and move to Los Angeles. Uh, had a lease, like was going to go about that, but whatever, had a, had a difference in opinions, uh, with some of the, my business partners said, you know what, I can to be frank, like I can do this same, uh, service offering. That we all do together, like I can design and build these applications, websites by myself, you know, and like I'd rather do that than have all these chefs in the kitchen. So at that time, you know, I so I, I you know I, I was like starting to work with clients on a freelance basis. Uh, and Alex, my brother, calls me one day and he's like, yo, and I think you know I had voice to him, like I'm kind of trying to figure out like this next step for myself and kind of like what I'm doing. Uh, you know, in the interim, I'm I'm doing this freelance. He's like, yo, you should talk to Sasha. I told Sasha he should talk to you. You know, he's building this website, this web application, um, you know, learn to win. And I don't know, you guys should talk. So I talked to Sasha, you know, he told me what they were doing. He told me about the idea and really like, and I think this is just something that's important. Uh, When you're talking, if you're trying to business, trying to, you know, network with people, whatever it may be, just figure out like what they need and like, how can you, Help solve that pain point. Uh, and sometimes you're not maybe going to be able to be the one who can solve that pain point themselves yourself. So he said, Oh, yeah, we're building out this, this product. Um, you know, actually, to be honest, like the guys he was building it out with, like I'm friends with. So like it really wasn't my place to be like, Oh, dude, I can like build it out better than they can. Like these guys were my friends, you know, and like, so I just, I didn't really offer like, Hey, I can. I can build this out for you, but I said, you know, he said, we're building this out, but ultimately, like, we got to sell it. Like, we need to, we're, you know, at the time, their, their products an educational platform for, at the time, it was for, uh, athletic, like, uh, like, you know, sports teams to help educate their players on the playbook, on, on different, you know, uh, team policies, whatever it may be. So ultimately they needed to build the product and they needed to sell it to, uh, different athletic departments. And I was just, and you know, this is the time I literally like a week before I'd heard Tommy's just fucking going around <laughs> and just fucking talking to all these people and, you know, just making, trying to make shit happen. And obviously I knew, you know, he had been recruiting, he was all American. He had been recruited by all these different types of, you know, athletic programs. I mean, how many like scholarship offers did you have? 40. He had 40 scholarship <laughs> offers. Not that I even knew that, but I knew he had a lot. So I was literally again, I was like, okay. I think I could provide you value in this way, but again, I'm not going to try to eat my friend's lunch here. (laughs)
1: He Um, would have eaten my lunch, (laughs)
0: not your lunch. I'm talking about the other developers. Oh yeah. But, uh, but you, you need someone to help you sell Tommy. (laughs) I was like, Tommy, Tommy is your guy. (laughs) Like Tommy, like you got to talk
1: talk to Tommy.
0: (laughs) And I think it's just, I mean, ultimately, you know, it wasn't like, I exactly knew, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm having this conversation seeing like, what can I get out of this? It was literally like, just try to like feel what are people's like, what do they need and just connect the dots. And like, you know, you can build great relationships out of it. You know, like Tommy and I are super tight today. Like, I'm sure, you know, he's looking out for me, has connected me with people, you know, has my back. Uh, but yeah, so really just connect Tommy to them. And, you know, from there, they yeah, literally started in the, in, in, from nothing and, you know, actually have, I mean, what's your guys uh, head count now?
1: We're at 50 employees, 50
0: employees and, you
1: know, revenue yes.
0: in the millions.
1: Yeah. A couple of millions. Um, and they've, and they've diversified beyond
0: athletic yeah. programs.
1: And I, I could, I mean, it might be helpful just to sort of, and you did it. I mean, Jeremy should come in as a sales rep here at learn to win channel <laughs> partner. He'd crush it. Um, but no, no, super, super good context there. And just to give additional, um, additional information about learn to win. So, um, really, yeah, we started as a tool to help coaches teach their playbooks, but I learned when We're really focused on two areas. So the first idea is micro learning. So it's taking dense information and breaking it down into these sub five minute vignettes uh, that leverage a lot of the best practices in adult and active learning. So if you all have ever done like a Rosetta Stone or Duolingo, similar learning experience. So I watch a 20 second video. I go through a three step sort of sequence of a new process we implemented then I'm met with a quiz question and I can't go to the next slide until I get it correct. And then I'm hit with a free response template where I say, hey, go in and record myself talking through this new protocol. And I actually have to go in there and record myself with my phone talking through this new process. So it be small by super interactive, super engaging. And then the last piece that we focus in on is this idea of the last mile of learning. So that's stuff that is specific to an organization. So um, we work with a pretty wide range of clients, from the Baltimore Ravens to Mercedes-Benz to Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. So that's like a new product that they're rolling out, or a process, right? Their internal in IP that you can't buy off the shelf, right? In a LinkedIn Learning or Coursera, because there's no off-the-shelf content that's going to pertain to your IP that sits in your frontline manager's heads, and it's impossible to scale across the organization. So it's typically scaled via shoulder taps or one-off meetings, but there's not a very digestible way to do it. So the way we do that is through our platform, technology platform, broken down into three parts. We make it really easy to build the content. It's set up similar to PowerPoint, all different templates. You push it out to phones, tablets, or computers, largely app-based, but can be accessed in all three modes. And then we give you this rich set of data and analytics where I can see not only did individuals go through and complete training, but where are the gaps, right? Where are areas where my team is getting questions incorrect? But are highly confident in that response. So that's my sales pitch, guys. I just gave it to you. Uh, but yeah, sports... hit up Tommy on LinkedIn. I'll just say right now,
0: hit him up if, you're, if your business is looking for. Sorry, I can't repeat. Your business is looking for Tommy. Yeah, hit him up on on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, but I, you know, again, certain sports and and just more of the point. You know, working the Department of Defense, and then actually, but you
0: guys. I mean, just just kind of again for this this context. Yeah. Of, you know, you're not going to know your finish line when you, when you start the race. Which I, I I need to come up with a better analogy. No, that's that. a great
1: analogy. But
0: um, you guys, you know, you started in sports, and did you say, oh, we're we're going to be selling to the Department of Defense as well as pharmaceutical companies? No. You know what was it? Five five years from now? Four years from now?
1: Four, like almost five at this point. I think it's like it's like starting a business is like. Uh, Getting a sword and, you know, taking it out to the jungle, right? Like taking a machete out to the jungle and like trying to colonize it, right? It's like, you just got to get started. I know that's such a like weird sort of, (laughs) sort of mental picture of it. But yeah, I mean, we started really like as a thesis of, Hey, the ways in which coaches are teaching their playbooks are super archaic, right? They're done in these 300 page binders or hour long classes. And in the last 20 years, there's been more and more research around the most optimal ways to teach and learn. And it's not in these macro settings, but it's in these small bites that are repeatable and digestible and engaging that you can drip over time, right? So it's not just, I learn it one time and that's it, but that's
0: micro learning,
1: micro learning. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we reinforce it? How do we keep it top of mind? And so we were like, Hey, where are areas that are high performing teams that need to know information quickly? Things are changing. And the threshold for winning and losing is super severe, right? In the world of college athletics or NFL, if you lose a game, you're out. Or, I mean, not a game, but if you have a couple bad seasons, you're out, right? So,
0: coach, a good use case to start with. Yeah, coaches
1: and teams are definitely super open to using innovative approaches. Competitive, competitive like, yeah. advantages. And, and that's, like, another sort of thing, right? And when you go and raise venture capital... They want to know that TAM is big, right? Total addressable market, because at the end of the day, the venture capital market, venture capital structures, hey, we're going to throw 10 darts at 10 companies, right? Hopefully, you know, eight of them statistically probably aren't going to pan out, or let's just say seven of them won't pan out, they'll go to zero. Two of them might win, have an M&A deal that returns 1x, 2x to the fund, but hopefully one of them turns into Meta or Facebook. Meta and Facebook at the same day, Meta or Workday or, you know, a big category player. And that gives us the thousand X return, which we could, you know, bring back to our LPs. So they're investors. Yeah. They're investors. So they want a huge TAM. So they're going to say, okay, what's your total addressable market?
0: A trillion dollars. (laughs) A trillion
1: dollars. If we get 1% of a trillion, then it's a pretty good business. But I, you know, when you're starting something, even if you colonize one very very small market and you just do an incredible job in that market right and think about the world of sports college football there's 56 FBS teams there's 32 nfl teams there's thousands of high schools but the threshold of which they're able to pay is pretty minimal so you're looking at in the grand scheme of it, a pretty small total addressable market from a dollars and cents standpoint but by starting there one it's you know sexy marketing you get all these great logos you get an opportunity to it's sort of- a,
0: Alabama is using our technology to continually win an FBS every year.
1: Exactly. So the logos are sexy even to this day. And two, just gives you like proof and you get feedback on your platform, right? Th- people are breaking it. You're hearing great stories about. Has it how, broken
0: a few times? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so definitely a ton of fire drills, right?
0: i um, <laughs> is a firefighter, guys, yeah. and also another theme in business: you're going to be a firefighter. That's that's part of it. Yeah, the more successful you are, the more fires there will be.
1: Oh yeah, it, it never ends. It never ends, and yeah. So start in one market, right? If you, I mean, listen, you can. You know, you create the next workday or Salesforce, and you just in four years, take it to 50 million ARR, like a Yammer, incredible, right? But I would say most companies start in one niche as you're building out the That te- might
0: be your fourth company you do might be that, but for the first one, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what would, what would be And also guys? too,
1: as you know, Jeremy, Jeremy is humble about this, but he is very, very intelligent when it comes to um, technology and infrastructure and building applications. But realistically, when you start the company which isn
0: 't quite an airbnb business, I must say, uh, but you know part of what i'm doing today now that i've grown you know an Airbnb business that awards me the freedom to do what I want to do, I have started a software business that you know in six months has grown to you know almost a thousand paying or probably hit a thousand paying monthly subscribers in the next several weeks uh, and something that you know we intend to grow. So hopefully, I mean, I don't know if it'll be a work day or any of those, but also we have no venture capital investors. So like, to me, it's, a, it's, a profitable business that's helping people. Yeah. That's fine. You know, we don't, you know, when you raise money, you're kind of like, you got to grow, grow, grow. Uh, maybe that's something you want to touch on, but in my experience, like <laughs> if you, you know, not, if you raise money.
1: If you're on the treadmill.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like if you're not showing revenue, insane, like exponential growth, like you're, done. <laughs> you're they don't care about you. Like yeah. they're on to the next one.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, raising venture capital is the norm in technology, unless you have a technical founder. We're in
0: technology.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or you're Atlassian, or you're, you know, Articulate Rise, and you just have such a low, you know, CAC cost, customer acquisition cost, right? And you just can go viral and acquire customers at scale. But I would say largely most organizations- Just,
0: just for context, when I'd say our tech, it's is that is like our software business. Yeah. So try to provide context. Yeah. And and
1: yeah. and Jeremy has an incredible um, model that I think is really cool in SAS. It's product led growth, right? Going in there leading with your product, doing some sort of free trial in a sense and converting. And think about that from a sort of unit economic standpoint. You don't really, you know, need a sales team. You got Jeremy, he makes up about five sales reps right there, but you don't largely need a sales team in the beginning, you are converting at a pretty high rate. And then from there, as you see, you you see patterns where, hey, we have all of these brokers or this specific sort of more B2B use case that is using the platform. Maybe there's an enterprise play here. And that's when you bring in somebody like maybe me or somebody who can come in and figure out what is the sort of um, repeatable B2B use case. Um, So I would say largely... Going back to the original point, a lot of technology organizations have to raise venture capital. The expectation of when you raise venture capital is triple, triple, double, double. So that's three, triple revenue, triple revenue, double revenue. That sounds
0: painful in my brain. Yeah. So, and so, I mean,
1: it's, it's grow. You're on the treadmill. It's go as fast as you possibly can. It's a fun journey for sure, but you know, it's, uh, it's a grind. So I guess. You know, raising money is definitely exciting. It's definitely good buzz for the, the company, but I wouldn't say it's like, it is an accomplishment in a sense. Cause you're like, Hey, we made it to this point where we are able to bring investors in, but until you distribute the money back to the investors, right? It's like, you're just, uh, taking and not really bringing back, uh, any value yet. So I would say, you know, sort of take a microscope to that sort of situation and, don't see that as, you know, if somebody's won when they've raised, you know, 300 million in a series a. It's probably they probably have a lot of traction, it's probably a really exciting business, but, you know, statistically like I said, 25% of companies that raise a seed, raise a series a and the odds sort of dwindle from there. So, um, there's a lot of upside there. I think, you know, ultimately if you could not raise money, um, and you could just bootstrap it, I mean, you answer to yourself at the end of the day and you can do a lot of really cool things and be pretty nimble. And Jeremy's obviously really uh, done an incredible job. I guess, I guess, uh, Jeremy, maybe uh, putting you on the spot here, do you see you guys continuing to build more helpful tools and technology platforms and tools as well for your community or what sort of your thoughts slash look forward uh for 23 in terms of you know new innovation from a product standpoint
0: yeah a uh, good question yeah, and i'm also going to take this opportunity to kind of uh, backtrack a bit and give additional context that kind of yeah will help lead your let you guys know or inform why mm-hmm. you know or you know essentially my answer to your question the why behind it so uh, you know after Left darkroom, was doing freelance, uh, website, website, web design, web development. You know, it was honestly in the process of like building out my own business, like was going to, you know, have my own branding business. I think it was going to call it like alpha designs or something. Uh, uh, and, uh. Do you have the
1: domain for that one?
0: I probably did. <laughs> do it somewhere.
1: I'm sure that's a pretty, I'm sure people pay, pay a pretty good amount of money for that one.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'd have to look it up. But,
1: Anyone who wants 10K, it's yours. <laughs> yeah, if I haven't
0: just let it go, which I think I probably have because I'm, I never did anything with that. I, uh, one of my clients early on, uh, was a New York based, uh, so I didn't go to Los Angeles. I said, you know what, but I need to get into the mix. Like, I'm not going to go to LA. I don't want to do that, but I want to go get into the mix. I want to go get involved with things. You know, I don't have any job lined up. I don't have anything lined up like this is what I was going to do and it's not going to work. So I got to go get involved. And I went to New York City instead. So in between my junior, senior year of college, I went to New York City and I you know, met people out and I just found clients uh, through whatever, hit up everybody I could. Hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, honestly, kind of I'm in a, I'm in a very vulnerable spot. Like, I mean, in, in an essence, I kind of got in a way we had disagreements with my co-founders at the time. There was four of us to be Frank. One of them. I just did not like, I just did not think was a good human being. Well, I'm not, I, sorry. Let me backtrack. Not even, I didn't think was a good human being. I just did not think they were a dog at all. Like I, I didn't think that they had, you know, what, what was in it to be successful ultimately. And, you know, and you know, I, I had disagreements with all of them. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just be honest. But, uh, Ultimately, you know, we parted ways, but I was kind of like, you know, I've given this company my all have grown it. Like to be frank, it was my idea. You know, I I thought this was a service offering we should be doing have helped grow it from, you know, literally nothing to actually being a legit business where we're starting to like hire people and, you know, actually make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So like that hurt, like that definitely hurt. Like I was definitely not happy. And, you know, I shared that I told people, I'm like, you know, I told some of my close friends, you know, I'm just like, Hey, letting you guys know, you know, I split up. And like, if you guys have in, know of anybody who is looking for web design, web development, like I will do whatever. Uh, and like one of my friend's dads had a lumber company, like not, you know, just a lumber company, like a pretty random business, not a, not a, you know, not some crazy, you know, but a lumber company. And he was like, Oh, they actually, you know, want a new, a new website. And uh, they're, they're putting a request for a proposal from agencies to uh, bid for it. So I bid <laughs> for a website project for an Atlanta-based uh, lumber company, and my bid—I I didn't know this at the time, but I, I learned after the fact that my bid was a matter of more than ten times less than anybody else's. So I bid. I think I bid the
1: things 12, you do to win your first clients.
0: Yeah, I bid twelve thousand five hundred bucks, <laughs> whereas I think uh, so it actually would be a factor of I. 20 if I'm doing this mental math right. So the second lowest bid I think was a quarter million <laughs> just, just for context. So,
1: And would you, would you say that what is typically the average cost that an agency you think would price out a, a, a full website design? Like I would, if,
0: so if, I would say that one, because it's not only like it was like building out a website, it was also like an inventory system. Yeah. So like every time... Uh, Their stock list got updated. They needed a way to update, you know, the website with their, with like their pro like how much they had of everything. So it was like, to an extent, somewhat of a custom web application. And like the way I did it, I had to, I built it custom uh, and then I had to rebuild it in a way where they can then edit it. So yeah. like I built it cause like there were so many changes and all these things and ended up getting paid more cause they just, they kept changing it. Like, like oh, we, we see that you can change stuff on the fly. They were great. I mean, I, I love them, like super appreciative of them. Um, but like they, you know, they changed stuff. So, you know, the cost went up some. I mean, I charged like an hourly rate. That was, you know, a good hourly rate for a junior in college, <laughs> but anybody who was like, you know, legit in the industry for five, 10 years would have like balked at what I charged for, for what I did. Uh, but, you know, I was 20 years old and, you know, $20,000 for, you know, several months of work, like while I'm in, like, while I'm kind of in school.
1: That's one year of living right there. Yeah, I was
0: definitely covering. <laughs> you know? I was able to live in New York. I was yeah. able to get an apartment or, uh, you know, get pay rent, able to go out, like have fun. Uh, so, and I, you know, I had other clients too at that time. So, but my, not that I even had a point with that. I was just kind of sharing that. that one
1: thing. One thing that I think is really impressive jeremy was and something that you should touch on because this is pretty unusual was so jeremy stayed in new york at the fall of our senior year yeah so, so. yeah talk about that because that was not a lot of people do that they might go for an internship but they don't end up staying the whole time what What was sort of the thought behind that and net net it seemed like a huge win but yeah talk about it
0: yeah so so i got that gig with the so it's an atlanta-based hardwood company pretty quickly Uh, in addition, one of my, one of my friends in New York had her own startup. So I was just helping her. Like, honestly, I wasn't even doing, you know, I did some web design, web development for her, but for her, it was just like anything I could be helpful with. And actually Tommy's childhood friends with her, just completely random. Glenrock Uh, in the house. And I'm dating a girl from (laughs) Glenrock now. So (laughs) Glenrock, Glenrock is really in the house. (laughs) Let's go. Glenrock, New Jersey has, you know, left such an impact on my life. Uh, obviously more of an impact on your life, uh, your Jersey, Jersey blood. The rock,
1: you might need to get a tattoo. I might. But you won't be able to get buried in Israel. So that'll be, <laughs> that's, uh, that's one downside. Perhaps. Uh,
0: so, so yeah, so I was doing, helping my friend any, any way I could. And then I met, you know, this guy, this you know, recent Michigan grad out one night. And uh, he had a startup, you know, it was him and his co-founder, uh, creating a new private equity uh product uh that you know would have enabled you know enables more folk uh to get into these like off you know these really interesting deals uh so think like you know blackstone buying Hilton like big private transactions that unless you have billions of dollars or hundreds of millions like you can no in no way be involved or you know benefit from them. So that's kind of the goal of the company and I personally you know, I, I liked that mission. You know, it was something where, you know, I at that time I, I you know, I making twenty grand from the, the lumber project. Uh, you know, I was, you know, doing, helping my friend out. She was paying me monthly. Like I had I had money. I had some money, not a lot, but I was like, Oh, i I started to get into like what do I do with this money? Like, do I just have it sit in my checking account? Do I, you know, go to one oak and, and get a table and get rid of it all <laughs> in one night? Uh, well, like, do I invest it? And, and, you know, the notion of like, oh, you can't invest. Like there are things you can't invest in, you know, something I found interesting or I was, you know, definitely picked about. So built, you know, built the website for, for this company. They liked my work. Uh, They said, Hey, you know, don't go back, don't go back to college. Um, Like, you know, we would, we would, you know, you could, you, we could put you on salary Uh, to, to kind of work more on a full time basis and i said you know what honestly it's like an interesting company this would be like the type of thing that i would want to work for when i finish college anyways you know like why go back um i didn't actually have that many you know credits i needed left uh i actually really only i think i only have like two classes i needed to take so i was just like yeah i guess you know, why go back? And actually, it's kind of funny because at the time I also had applied for like a study abroad program and I got rejected by the study <laughs> so you're abroad. Like, screw program. the establishment. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, the
1: business school now, this people. Nah, I can't, even,
0: can't even get a study abroad yeah. program. <laughs> like, what? How do I get rejected? And also, like, to be frank, like between my sophomore year and junior year. So after I, I stopped playing JV basketball my sophomore year, I had applied to like five internships. And one of them was the company my dad had worked for my entire life. So literally I was like, ah, oh, dude, I'm gonna get this. Like I'm studying computer science. Like my dad's, my dad's, my dad's like a middle, he's middle, he was middle management at a tech company. You know, he's been working at the same company my entire life. You know, I would assume like, again, I'm have good grades. I'm studying computer science. Like I can get a job, an internship at this company. And it was like four rounds of internships. I had like my quote unquote super day and I got rejected. <laughs> and, and ironically, like one of my friends, had applied, you know, didn't have as good of grades, like was taking the same CS classes as me, was not doing as well in them. he was a year younger than me. So he like, you know, hadn't even, didn't even, you know, he was younger. So usually that hurts you for an internship. He, he got the internship and I did it. And I'm just like, (laughs) dude, I, there is, I'm just not good at this game. Like, uh, I don't know what it is. Like, I got to just, to be frank, like I got to do my own thing. Like at this point, I really don't have, like, I I don't even feel like it's, you know, a a, a choice. Like, I just, I just feel like it's really the only option. And again, a little bit of the chip on my shoulder, like, you know, screw all this. Yeah, screw all these establishments. Uh, So yeah, just for kind of that context, I was like, I don't want to go back to school and then apply for a job. Like, I have no trust that I'll actually get a job. Like, (laughs) like, I think that's not going to happen for me. Like, I have like, all right, this opportunity. And like, they're actually, you know, they're, they're letting me still do some freelance uh be more full- time, but like I could still work with my friend and help her out. you know, like I could still you know whatever i'm i'm gonna let's I'm gonna do this instead. So I joined you know that operation full time. Uh, I ended up going back to college my last semester. I was actually still working for the company. They allowed me to go go back, and I'd had to like kind of go between North Carolina and New York uh, and you know just to attend different functions and you know be a part of different conversations and whatnot. but uh when when I graduated. I moved, you know, went right back to New York right away, you know, was working uh, for the company. And then in March of 2020, COVID hit and things just got delayed, like absolutely got pushed back. So essentially it was a new financial product. And the thing with, you know, any financial product is you, you're, you know, and even, you know, to an extent crypto or maybe crypto might be the, um, the, the, the one like outlier here, but you gotta go through the securities and exchange commission. Like you need government regulatory oversight for whatever you're doing. So this I would new- say
1: with crypto that maybe it went right out the window. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly, FTX yeah. is managing billions of dollars on QuickBooks. I think they might have skied by that money just kind of poof. Yeah. They, they traded, they, whatever.
0: I don't go back to the original point. In a crypto yeah. podcast, but uh, yeah. we could talk all day about that stuff, but essentially things got delayed. So the SEC was in the process of responding to comments on this uh, on this new financial product and their response, they said, okay, we're not responding to anybody's comments for months. Like we're, we're, we're taking like everybody's going home. Everyone's leaving the office. Like it's going to take us months to even figure out like how to function as an agency. So to me, well, first of all, at the time we were actually about to start a fundraise process and we didn't have that much cash. Like we had, I don't know, several months of of runway. And like, I was in the conversations where it's just like, yeah, we do need to extend the runway. And I'm even in the conversations like, yeah, we do need to extend the (laughs) runway. And it was like, all right, how do we do that? Well, it's like, well, we only have a couple people on payroll and Jeremy's one of them. And yeah, we need to, Jeremy, we need to decrease your salary to, you know, at the time it was $2,500 a month. And me, you know, I mean, I'm even doing the math and I'm like, shit, we do got, we do have to decrease my salary to that. Uh, but that's what happened. My salary was decreased and this was like March of 2020. And also again, things got pushed back. Like there just wasn't a lot to do. Yeah. So to be frank, like I'm a, I was a little restless. I was a little bored and I was a little frustrated and to be frank, like self-conscious, like I wasn't making a lot of money. I had to leave, I had no choice. I had to leave New York city. I couldn't afford my lifestyle. Like if I stayed in New York, like kept paying rent for, you know, several more months, you know, like I may not have had any money. Like I I may have had, I mean, I I don't know. Like I literally any, everything I'd worked for doing all these freelance projects, you know, grinding when I was in college, like it would have all been been gone. So I went back home and I was thinking like, all right, I don't want to like quit this job. So I can't just like go out and like, you know start another I don't know like you know I could start another competing business of some sort, so I gotta do something that's like somewhat you know totally different.' So watching the Ozarks on on Netflix where this guy Marty Bird just like starts,
1: <laughs> what a great inspiration
0: starts all these businesses yeah. out a lake in the middle of Missouri, and I'm gonna you know it's true i'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, there's a lake uh, 50 minutes away from where I'm from. I, I've grown up going to it. I know that like there's no boat rental business there because I've tried to rent, we tried to rent boats there and like there wasn't an option or the only option there was sucked and they shut down at the beginning of COVID. So I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start a boat rental business. Uh, I'm gonna get a boat. Got one boat, you know, $5,600 pontoon, got it rented. Uh, I was like, all right, you know, the math on this looks pretty good if we're, you know, renting. Uh, you know, these boats out for 400 bucks a day and only cost me five, six, seven. Now it's a lot more, but at that time, you know, it was like people were kind of freaking out and trying to offload, you know, their inventory of of boats. They didn't think that people would, you know, buy them all back, which during COVID (laughs) actually proved to be the case. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Uh,
0: But yeah, so I took several of them off their hands and uh, pretty much put all my money into pontoon boats. Wow. Quite random again, guys. Did I have any idea where that would lead me? Absolutely not. No clue. Uh, Did I know that, you know, that people who's, you know, so essentially a lot of this, this lake has Airbnbs on it. I would partner with the people who own the Airbnbs who, you know, listed them and, you know, say, Hey, you can provide your guests a boat. And, you know, you can give a discount to your guests. Just list me on your, on your listing or list, you know, our boat rental company. And uh, some of these owners were like, Hey, well you seem to be, you know, pretty, you know, you're a young hustler, um, you know, to be frank, like we don't really like managing these houses. Like, if you want to do this for us, you can, like, <laughs> uh, or, or would you do this for us? And I'm like, eh, sure, I'll be a, I'll start managing air, I'll, or I'll manage Airbnbs for you. Uh, so that's what I did. I you know, started manning Airbnbs for external owners, uh, you know, built, I actually started, you know, built, built its own, you know, management business, create its own LLC, so I had the boat business, had the management business. Uh, And then, you know, if anyone, if if work kind of asked me, it was like, oh yeah, like my family has a, you know, my family has a boat in real estate business, you know, like in North Carolina, like if any of like my coworkers, you know, it wasn't like a competing, you know, I was spending a lot of time doing it, but I was like, yeah, I came home during COVID and like had to help my family with our business. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it got business got tough during COVID and like. You know, I just to step up to the my, plate. My, my salary got cut here. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, I gotta
1: eat. I gotta eat. I gotta eat. Yeah.
0: And, you know, there's so You can't, there's really nothing for me to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, start, did the boats to start doing management, started saying, you know what? These houses are doing really, really well and, uh, kind of talking about strategy. And, and I think this, this is a really t- long-winded way to answer yeah. your question, but initially saw that like rural areas during COVID were doing extremely well. Boat rental businesses were doing well because everyone, you know, wanted to get outside and do safe activities. Boats were, you know, allowed by the state of North Carolina, whereas ours were not allowed. Uh, Also, you know, rural houses, people wanted to get out of their houses in Washington, D.C. and go have space. You know, they were tired of looking at their neighbor's windows. So we had a huge surge in demand on this lake. I was like, you know, these houses are not too expensive. I mean, I didn't know that. I didn't say yet. I just said these houses are not too expensive at this moment. Interest rates are low. I want to start buying these things. You know, like I'm looking around the lake, I'm driving my boat around. Oh, this one's for sale. I want it. This one's for sale. I want it. I want to buy it. Crap. Do I have enough money to buy these houses? No, I put all my money into (laughs)
1: pontoon
0: boats. Am I going to let that stop me? No, absolutely not. not. (laughs) How do I do this? And that's kind of when I started doing social media, kind of to tie in social media. That's when I started like, bing, 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 look at these houses, look what I'm doing, things are making money, anyone wanna invest. At that time, I raised money from friends who saw what I was doing through social media. So we started buying houses, uh, had to figure out how to buy houses as a group, or even just how to buy houses in general, how to, how to raise money and make sure that everything was kosher. So I started raising money to buy houses, and it started with lake houses. Then said, you know what? The numbers, you know, at that point I knew how to run the numbers on properties. I said, you know, the lakes at this point in 2021, the lake boomed in, in value, like homes boomed in value. It doesn't really make sense here anymore. All right, where does it still make sense? South Florida. That's where I went next, South lake Florida. Lake Worth, the house. Yes, sir. So went down to Florida. We bought two houses there. Then said, crap, the numbers don't really make sense anymore here. All right, where's next? <laughs> then went, you know, Smoky Mountains, like bought a couple houses there. At that point, we had to do like very deep value ads. Like in order to make a profit, like first house that we bought we were like turnkey, like we didn't have to really do anything. At this point, it was like every property we buy, we have to be like deep value add, meaning we have to renovate it. We have to transform the space into something amazing. And that's just what we did. We transformed these spaces, made them really cool. Uh, and you know, at that time, again, COVID was still happening. So it was like very much vacation markets, yeah. rural markets were were kind of the buzz and where everything made sense. And then this year, 2022, uh, a, I was honestly burnt out from like continually renovating these properties. Uh, you know, it takes, it takes a month, two months of my time.
1: You're living at these I'm, units, I'm Living,
0: you know, literally starting on the floor in a sleeping bag. Then, you know, at, going through the month or two, as we transform it into like pretty awesome houses. So I was kind of burnt out and also had been spending so much time doing that, that I was honestly, I just didn't feel like I, uh, you know, had like, I was still, you know, doing a lot of the guest messaging. I was still doing a lot of things that I felt like I didn't need to be, you know, I could have, uh, could out outsource and, but I didn't have the time to like figure out all that because I was just every day, like, Dealing, dealing
1: with fires.
0: Yeah, we're dealing with fires, but also, like, all right, we have five contractors coming by to give. Because we were so frugal on price. Like, we did so much of the work ourselves. Like, the renovations we did on these houses, like, in hindsight for how much money we spent was pretty nuts. Like, I had to learn how to become a plumber, an electrician. Like, did, I mean, figure out all these things that I had no idea about. I had no experience. I couldn't even, I didn't even know how to paint, to be honest. And to be frank, I'm not going to act like I'm the best painter at this point. Uh, but-, but you also
1: pair- teamed up with some good folks like Blake, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you Blake, guys bought Blake that.
0: <laughs> who just texted me? Who's upstairs asking, "Where are you guys?"
1: <laughs> well, when you guys and I'm, I know you have a really great name for it, but when you got that one house with Karosh and Ted and Blake, uh, that I st- came and stayed with you guys for a couple of days during that period. You guys lived at that house for three weeks,
0: which is an insane. Honestly, the- more than three,
1: maybe. I don't. I even- think it
0: was it was three and a half. <laughs> And I remember going into that was the house. We did the first like deep value add the first renovation and going, oh, I think we can do this renovation in in seven days. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think we could figure out how to do it in a week. I don't I don't know what it even entails, but
1: sure, we'll We'll figure it out. out. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And then being like so pissed because it took us three weeks of grinding. And I was like, dang, you know, I, I said a week. And, and also like we had raised money from a couple other investors. I didn't promise them a week, but like, I was kind of like, Hey, maybe, you know, I'm sure we can figure it out. But it took three weeks to get that house up and running. Looking back in hindsight, I'm like, Holy shit. That was fast. Like people barely (laughs) furnish houses like in three weeks, like we renovated that house. Like we did a lot of work to it. Like we rebuilt the dock. We rebuilt the bar at the dock. We like, demoed closets. Like we did, we painted, like we, I mean, we, we did a lot.
1: You were spending a lot of time in the garage, right? There was something in in the early days.
0: Well, I just remember that the garage smelled like cat piss.
1: <laughs> yes. So
0: I was like, first thing, you know, this is going to be like our work setup station. Yeah. Like we're going to have our tools and stuff in here before we move everything in here. We got to get like, this just, this making the whole house smell like cat piss. Also why, you know, the house had been on the real estate market for two years and nobody had bought it. It smelled like cat piss. <laughs> like people are gonna, you know, they're gonna come in and smell cat piss and just literally go, "Nope, we're out, we're out of <laughs> yeah. here."
1: Next house, yes.
0: But uh, you know, I came in, I smelled the cat piss, and I said, "I'm assuming there's a way we can get rid of that." Do I know how we get rid of the cat piss at this point? No, I have no clue. Google
1: ChatGPT. Yeah, no
0: So uh, Yeah, I, I didn't even Google. I think we just power washed and yeah. like put in like a couple plug in the the whatever it's called the fires (laughs) and uh yeah that smell went away so another yeah i mean challenges are not i guess something is like i never think a challenge is like something unsurmountable even if i don't know you know you know how to do something i assume other people have figured out how to do it yeah and to be frank i'm like i don't think i mean yeah there are people who are definitely smarter than me like don't get me wrong like there's a lot of them Uh, But I'm like, I don't, you know, I think there are people who are not, you know, might be dumber than me who have done this. So as long as somebody. (laughs) That's an
1: interesting way to look at it. I, though, I think there's that, there's a broader point in there too, where it's like, you there, I see this a lot, a lot. Like you have people who can figure things out, right? Like you say, hey, here's a project, go and do it. And then other people who need sort of you to break down every single step, right?
0: Yeah. Honestly, that first house, because like at the time, again, we had bought a turnkey property where we were like we really didn't need to do anything. Uh on Heiko. yeah, on, on the lake. And there were a couple, you know, my you know, my friends like uh Blake, who's texting us, who's upstairs coming down. He just comes up behind me. I'm sorry he doesn't know we're filming this podcast right now. <laughs> uh but yeah, he they were all looking at me like, what do we do? You know, we when we, we closed on the house. Yeah, like, you were the, the leader.
1: You were the leader. I was
0: like, guys, like I'm going to pick a project (laughs) and I'm going to figure out how to do it. And you also pick a project (laughs) and figure out how to do it. Yeah. And in hindsight, that wasn't the approach. That's not how you be a leader of those things, but I didn't, I didn't know anything, but everybody was willing to learn. Everybody was willing to grow together. And now, you know, we've all, you know, done some crazy things since then. Uh, some of it together, some of it on our own, on our own right. Uh, but just also, yeah, just to keep kind of the story progressing. So we bought these houses then in May of 2022, I was like, or actually a little bit earlier than that. So it was like, it was um, in February, I honestly didn't want to buy any anymore. But then one of my business partners was just like, yo, our, our Florida houses are doing, it's doing too well. Like we got to buy another. And I'm like, fuck. Well, to be honest, at this point, my strategy, cause we had just also, we bought one in the Smoky Mountains and just, you know, got that one, again, that one set up, I was like, you know, my strategy, I want to, I'm going to, you know, and I actually, some of my uh, relationships with properties I co-hosted for, maybe they started as co-hosting, but then they progressed into actually the owner just being like, you want to just pay me monthly rent or me pitching that to them. So I was starting to rent and re-rent some of my you know, co-host clients' properties. And I saw that honestly, I, I liked, I liked that model a lot. Uh, and in many ways, you know, interest rates were starting to go up. Uh, also, you know, I didn't want to be spending two months at a house renovating it. And I, so I started renting properties, uh, or going out and, you know, reaching out to landlords to rent. I mean, I, ha- I had been renting properties, but it had been, you know, previous clients, uh, you know, but then I went out and started renting properties from landlords and re-renting them. And that's known as Airbnb arbitrage. And really, you know, was it, you know, gonna push the business model that way again, largely because I didn't want to spend two months, uh, renovating properties anymore. Uh, but my, my point being at that time I was also like, all right, I want to automate everything. Like I, I don't want to be stuck in the day to day. Like I want my, you know, I, this has been a grind for me. Like I want my freedom. I want to do whatever the hell I want to do. I don't even know what I want to do next. I want
1: to be a kid again. <laughs> yeah. I want
0: to be want yeah I want to play basketball more. Yeah.
1: Uh, I want to go on my ski trips. <laughs> exactly. So
0: hired virtual assistants, and also at this point, people are you know my my social media following had had picked up. People were starting to reach out to me. Hey, can you can you help me start my business or show me how to do this? Show me how to do that. To which I was like, No, I can't because I'm busy. You know, and as a friend, I was I was working in my business, not on my business. I didn't really have the time to to you know do other things. So got my you know hired virtual assistants, got a lot of the day to day operations automated. Uh, and that was when I was like, all right, I feel pretty good about things, what's next? Uh, and then that thing for next was like, you know, a lot of people, I had a really good investment template that we had built out myself. You know, a lot of my business partners were like investment bankers, my little brother's investment banker. We had a dope spreadsheet calculator and you know, I'd post videos about it and people were buying it. And I was like, to be frank, like this spreadsheet's not that cool. You know, like you could, I could build a much better version of this. that's like an, a web first application. Um, so I actually tried my hand at building, building one. And to be frank, I hadn't been coding or doing anything or any project management product development for like, at that point, you know, I'd been building an Airbnb business. I hadn't been building tech businesses for about a year and a half. Like I hadn't literally done anything. And the version I built was shit. (laughs) Like, I mean, people would look at it and be like, that looks good. But to me, I was like, you knew it could be better. Yeah. I knew it could be. I was just like, I wasn't confident. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to push it. Like I wasn't going to try to sell it. Yeah. Uh, But then I talked to my friend Parker, who actually, I don't know if we've launched his podcast, but I, we did a podcast the other week with him, him here. I think I was just like, I met up with him or I think, I think we were like, it was our friend, friend's birthday uh, thing. And, you know, he asked me what I was up to. And I, you know, I, we've kind of been talking about the boats, honestly. Uh, He was interested in those. I mean, really just interesting guy. He just like likes doing random businesses. And uh, I told him, I was like, you know, I've, I've been able to. You know, people have been buying my Excel spreadsheet, and uh, I know there's a way to build this a lot better. Like, there's different there's different like websites that we can pull from, and a spreadsheet doesn't let you just pull. It's called APIs, but with a spreadsheet, that's hard to do. With a mobile first application, you can pull all this data from online and have it you know quickly show up on your you know on your phone. Uh, So I know you can do it, and like here's my attempt at doing it. And he just looks at it, and he's just like, interesting. He's like, I think I could build you know, something pretty good here. Like, I think, that, I think that would be a fun project. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Hackathon, <laughs> yeah, hackathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I showed him, I was like, you know I mean? People are buying this shitty spreadsheet. Or, again, it was a good spreadsheet, but people are buying it. Uh, I think that there's like some proof of product yeah. market fit. And we, we built, he built it. Uh, you know, we, we had a couple other developers who, you know, we hired to, to help speed that process up. But we got it built, you know, pretty much out of our own pockets. Uh, It took a few months to build and then we launched it. And, um, you know, it definitely wasn't a home run right away. And like no tech product always is because you're always going to have bugs at the beginning. And you're always people are always going to like not like it for a reason. You know, like when you build something like you're building it with your own eyes and your eyes might not be the exact same eyes as like the mass user base out there. So like definitely the first few months was like a lot of, you know, people complaining and canceling and, you know, having to, and also like there's so many different types of browsers and mobile devices yeah. and operating systems. And like, it's hard to test for every single one of them all the time. So like tons of bugs and all these issues, but powered through, you know, we talked to our users and said, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Yada, yada. And uh, now at this point, we have a pretty strong, like, oil user base and we're continuing to make it better. And over time, you know, we're going to continue to listen to our user base and figure out, I mean, what they care about is like fast, like speed. That's why they use it because it's so much faster to do it with us than do it, you know, the old way of an Excel spreadsheet. And, you know, a lot of people don't even, it gives you all the inputs and outputs, like uh, the variables. So they know what the expenses to look out for are uh, they, they just, it gives them an idea of how to visualize the investment a from like a, you know, total return standpoint, but B just from like a, what are the components of being an Airbnb investor? Like, Oh, how does an HOA fee and homeowners association fee, you know, change? How does that, you know, how does that affect things? How does, you know, having, you know, a water bill or, you know, a, a well affect things like these yeah. are all things you can, you know, how does like, uh, you know, how does, a uh, Ha- like uh property tax, like yeah. know, there, if there's low property tax, high property tax, like how does that change things? So it's very visual, uh, very helpful and very fast. And that's why our users like us. But right now, what we're trying to figure out is like, who are our power users? Like who gets like a thousand times more value than you know other users on the app? And like, how do we make a tool for them that's like a thousand times more valuable that they'll pay a hundred times more for? Uh and that's kind of what we're trying to figure out right now is like what's that next? Like it's a twenty dollar a month product. Like it's not expensive. Like yeah. it's just it's not like to be honest. And like the data, like there's a cost for us, for the data, for everything we use. So like the underlying user, you know, is, is really, in my opinion, getting an extremely good deal and um you know, getting more than twenty dollars worth of value, which is why they, they pay for it, because it saves them so much time. They're also making important investments, you know, investments that cost thousands of dollars. So it helps to, you know, be able to use a tool that makes you visualize what that investment looks like. But now we're trying to figure out like, all right, what's that tool where people might be able to willing to pay $500 a month for $1,000 a month for while we continue to build out, you know, that $20 uh, a month uh, product in the user base there.
1: Yeah. Can you, what do you, how do you think about, um, customer acquisition, um, for the calculator and just maybe wit large. So, um, one, how do you get them? Obviously you have a, a great following on social media. Um, are you guys doing any other sort of Google ads or anything? Do you have experience there and talk a little bit about that? And then second, how are you dissecting your customer base? Like obviously doing interviews, looking at their domains and stuff like that. But what is some of the lens is that you're looking at to sort of figure out, what is the ICP ideal customer profile and how can we build sort of that enterprise level tool that they might pay, um, you know, tens of thousands or whatever the threshold is. So two part question, but just think that would be good context for the group.
0: Yeah, so first, uh, obviously leverage my social media was the first way to get customers and people who, you know, believe in me, uh, for, you know, definitely, hey guys, I'm using this tool this is how I use it, you know, check it out. There's a free trial. So it was definitely through my social media initially. Uh, also we did, we actually got shadow banned by Google. Somehow we were running Google ads and like it was going pretty well. And then all of a sudden Google like stopped our ads and they haven't really given us a reason. Like they gave us like the, they gave us like two times they stopped our ads and both times they gave us reasons that like made,
1: yeah, what is sh- t- t- shadow ban? Just for the, the rudimentary. Like,
0: that's like a TikTok term, but yeah. it means like they're not pushing your your ad. So, like, let's say I push not video and it gets, it gets zero views. I'm like, yeah. obviously, they're not showing this to anybody. Whereas, like, same for for Google, they're just like obviously not you know sharing our ads. Like, we want Google, please take our money and show <laughs> people our ads. Boost
1: this post.
0: Yeah, but they they literally stopped. So I was like, all right, Google stopped. You know, it had worked decently for us. Uh, but really, you know, as my friends who are other peers uh, in the TikTok space, you know, they, uh, having them post about it, which, yeah. you know, they're, they're willing to do uh, because they actually use it and they like the product and they know there's a need in the marketplace for something like this. So, you know, uh, uh, that's called uh, influencer marketing. Also,
1: cheap way to acquire users, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously you have There's to track just some costs, yeah. yeah, and it's like TikToks became more of like a slow roll, whereas like initially, like when I started, like on TikTok, you could just post something overnight, get like 2 million views, which was nuts, like to think in hindsight, that's not the case anymore. You know, TikTok is, you know, much harder now, unless, you know, you're the D'Amelios and you were on there seven years ago, you know, dancing around. Like you're not, no, no disrespect to them for that. Like absolute admirers to, yeah. to them. Hats off
1: props to you. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, yeah. not,
0: not, not, not shit talking that, but I'm just saying that was, that was the case. And when I joined, like, it was like a couple years ago, it was kind of like the latter end of that. In my opinion. I mean, it probably wasn't as much as the beginning days, but like really to an extent, like, you know, you could just kind of post something and, you know, chances are it could get a million, two million views. And I had that happen, uh, several times. But now it's more of like overnight, literally overnight. Now it's like a slow burn. Now it's like you post something. It might get like 20 views a day for four months, you know? So you might end up getting, you know, whatever, 10, 20,000 views, you know, but it might take or, you know, 100,000 views, 200,000 views, but it might take... Five months, yeah, six months. Whereas, like before, it'd be it's like not
1: as viral it'd per go, se.
0: It'd go one day and then it yeah. would stop. Like it would literally like zero to one point six million to like one point six zero one million. Yeah. a month later. So, that which said, is interesting
1: to say because obviously you, you and everyone, I was like you've gotten better at building videos and just knowing right. So
0: I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: if not, you might have bigger fish to fry, and I think everyone can see that from the quality, but. Is it, is I the algorithm? Every,
0: everybody's quality's kind of gotten better. Yeah. I mean, I think more competition has moved in. I, yeah. mean, I think people have obviously learned like- The tricks. Know, yeah. You can, you can do that. People have said, you know, you should be posting content. You should be doing but there's People on the apps who are, you know, pushing content creation and how to do it and everything. So like, there's definitely more, comp, more people making. And also during COVID, there was just more eyeballs on the apps because, you know, there were more people, uh, you know, they were at home, they weren't working. You know, the usage of social media platforms definitely peaked during COVID. So you had less people making content and you had more people uh you know watching. And in the case of TikTok, like they weren't trying to monetize as hard at that point. Yeah. So now it's like every five videos is an ad. But what does that do? So yeah, and so I've implemented we've implemented a TikTok ad strategy uh because it's effective, you know, and um uh, have have started doing TikTok ads probably a week or two ago, honestly. And Need to build out our tracking better because, you know, essentially when people like uh, a fill when an influencer would post, you know, it takes six, like they just keep showing to people over the course of a year or two. So, like, we're still getting users from like old videos. So, like, to us, it says, you know, people come from TikTok, you know, so I can't, it's hard to tell. Like, ah, it's on us to be able to track all these things. I, I digress. Well, you yeah. can
1: see when they're signing up, the source, yeah, where or they're originating.
0: Well, the thing is, when you do an ad, yeah, you can send them to a specific link, yeah. Landing page, um, yeah, exactly. A specific landing page, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, we're we're just starting with that. We're gonna do Facebook ads, uh, yeah, we're we're gonna try to do better email marketing, like all these things, and like concurrently, you know, I'm trying to like the calculators, you know, one of the products I'm I've created, and you know, there's other products I want to create, whether they be tech, whether they be coaching, whatever they may be, whether they be conferences, I want to start doing conferences, masterminds. I mean, you know, obviously one one step at a time, but uh. Honestly, this, uh, the Ryan Pineda podcast the other day was about conferences and I'm like, shit, let's do some conferences. That would be fun too.
1: Yeah. I mean, you got beautiful properties. Everyone would be, uh, one, learn a lot from coming to one of your masterminds, but then two, just be able to spend, you know, a beautiful couple of days on, you know, a boat on the lake and yeah, we'll, really,
0: we'll whip the boats out. Yeah. You.
1: Get away. And like, it'd be great, a great win for everybody. So I think Jeremy, one overarching theme is, you might not know where the finish line is right when you start, but you've got the energy and you're
0: never finished. Yeah. You're never (laughs) finished.
1: Right. But you have that. I'm going to go out there and freaking do it. I'm going to take action. If I don't know what to do, I'm going to figure it out. Right. And I think that's something that really makes you stand out. And I think people that, you know, you either make it happen or you don't make it happen at the end of the day, you don't have sort of a, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this, but you don't have a big corporation, a gorilla sort of, in the background pushing you along and um you're out there either winning or you're losing every day and uh, you're a winner and it's uh, been really cool to see your see your journey over the last couple of years and people right they probably look at your social media page and they're like what else can this guy do but um, as we all know there's big things ahead in 23 and 24 and um into the future let's sort of uh shift here a little bit um to a little bit of a different topic but what are you excited about, not necessarily just for you, but what are you excited for in terms of trends that you're seeing, whether that be in short-term rentals, location, technology? What are some up-and-coming areas or things that you're excited about that you think will be big disrupt- disruptors uh, going into the future?
0: Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, things, yeah, and like crypto and blah blah blah. blah. Chat GBT. <laughs> and AI. AI is super important. But I, I would say this so, like, beginning of COVID, I, you know, a lot of, you know, cryptos went off during COVID. Like, you know, the government just printed so much money. Interest rates being zero. And, and I felt that, like, a lot of my smart friends, and like, I'll give, you know, Parker is an example of this. Uh, Kane, who have also recorded a session with, you know, two of my, like, close you know, smart friends, guys who I'm like, these guys are smarter than me. Uh, they, you know, they shifted the crypto heavy. And to me, and I, and I saw a lot of people doing this, really going crypto. And I'm like, look, if everybody is, all the smart people of our, that, of, of our you know, generation are doing crypto or doing, you know, really the non-tangible like ether, like the, 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 the you know, the di- digiverse, <laughs> uh, metaverse, if they're all doing that like i'm going to focus on as physical tangible things as i possibly can because they're not doing that you know there's a huge opportunity and i'm going to be the one you know diving into this physical tangible world and making something out of it and that's and that's just what i did you know and 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 i kind of like carrying that towards the future i mean the world is and i and i have like you know i still obviously do the airbnbs i still do the boat rental business um and you know, I've definitely hired folk to help me run the day-to-day operations of, 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 of all that stuff, all the physical stuff. And, you know, now I'm doing a, a digital product and I'm starting to really build out digital products. But I think it's really like it's, it's these digital products that like marry real-world shit, like to, you know, automated or easier solutions. That's like where I just see, see there being opportunity. Like, I mean, we're running out of plumbers. You know, uh, the average plumber is like 60,
1: 56, right? Yeah.
0: 56. Like it, they're getting old, like yeah. it's getting harder and All harder. All skilled labor, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so there's gonna be less and less people. And like people still need space. You know, they still, as much as, you know, you can put a virtual reality goggle on and, and act <laughs> like you're on the moon. Like, that's that as of right now, you gotta be. So you're not bullish
1: on the metaverse short-term rentals.
0: <laughs> I did not buy any digital real estate at any sort uh yeah do not buy my nft that i'm not offering to you so yeah i don't know i think i think just those ones here are the ones who can you know realize that we're going to be at a shortage of physical like we're not going to be able to build you know robots that i think really like can do your plumbing no no it's too complex too nuanced i don't i don't think robots are going to go build a deck uh, at your house uh so there's going to be things that like there's gonna be a huge shortage of providers. So whether, I mean, you are the provider and and, and you're like, you know, absorbing some of this demand or you're figuring out, you know, ways to make it easier for people to get what they need done, done. Uh, Obviously that could be a tech solution. I mean, that could just be, you know, starting a business and and having, you know, people work under you. Whatever it may be, I think there's just gonna be huge opportunity. Uh, Moving forward, so yeah, that's just that's just something I think people listening like, and again, you don't have to know that huge solution like right away, but just know that there's going to be demand, and there already is, and there will be demand moving forward for a lot of just like physical, real world things. Yeah,
1: I think a couple really great points in there. I mean, look at Ease Plumbing. Austin Helms, UNC guy, started plumbing company. Was in the business school who. Hated Jeremy and I. Just joking. We still rep Keated Flagger grade school, but he started a plumbing good company. Guy.
0: I've, I've met him. Yeah, uh,
1: started a plumbing com- company in Charlotte that's blowing up, right? Uh, so he wasn't necessarily a plumber, but he went out and figured out the trade and started a business that's doing really, really well. And that
0: example, honestly, I, I know of that too. And I didn't even think of that example, but right on. <laughs> yeah. And, and also,
1: <laughs> I think this goes to an even broader point, which isn't necessarily what we want to center on today, but I think there's there's been this huge push towards everybody going to university and going to college in the United States. And, you know, there's so many universities and schools out there, which is great. And people should have the opportunity to get education and opportunity. And you know, that's what makes this country great. But uh, there's only so many sort of, let's call them higher paying jobs right out there. And there's such a shortage in skilled labor, right? So, We have all of these people fighting over, you know, these jobs, right? But we have such a shortage in plumbers and HVACs and all of these sort of skilled labor. And I almost just wish there would be more of a push for folks to go to trade school, right? Like not everybody needs to go to college. You're not a failure if you don't go to college. Actually, you're very strategic instead of going out and going to college and taking out 200K worth of debt where you leave and you have a 40K a year job listen, there's nothing wrong with that and chase your dream, but you're overwhelmed with debt that you may not ever get to pay off. But if you go to trade school and you learn a trade and you even just join a union, right. And you work your way up, you can make six figures with great benefits. Now, if you have a business sense, you could start a business, uh, that could blow up. Right. So I think there's so much opportunity sort of in the trades and it's definitely a an area that I don't think people necessarily look down on, but it's definitely a place that we need more participation. And I've always sort of thought to myself, you know, if the technology world doesn't pan out, maybe I would just start like a plumbing company. <laughs> <laughs> because like you said, there's just so much opportunity. I really think that is really cool. I guess switching gears in terms of a place that I am excited, sort of, uh, you know, I think that the chat GBT thing is, it's cool in an instance, I think there's um a lot of excitement about AI and um linguistics you know modeling and all of that fun jazz and jargon that people throw out there, but I mean if you research or like you go on chat gbt and you ask it a question, I mean the answers that they're giving you are insufficient right that the the technology isn't there yet it's been rushed out uh and Google has been sitting on this product since 2016. There's a reason why they didn't release it because the technology just isn't there yet. But
0: Microsoft or-
1: Microsoft invested 10 billion into open AI, but Google had a product that they'd never released. But then once uh, Microsoft did that, then they came out with a competing product. I'm blanking on the name of it, but, uh, so there's been a lot of opportunities, but the product isn't good. You ask it a question and it's, it's almost scary because I think, you know, some people can, you know, s- sort of sort through what's real and what's not. Other people can't, right? So you know, they're asking you questions around how are the Knicks doing this year? And it tells you the wrong answer. It gives you history from 2010. Patrick Ewing, was the first <laughs> yeah. number one pick in the
0: 1982 NBA draft.
1: Yeah. But going to the point, I think there's going to be a lot of cool applications with AI and enterprise use cases. For instance, why couldn't you teach an AI model um, gap accounting, right? So It can go in and it can create the P and L. And when a CEO has to come in and do the quarterly reports, instead of you know working with Joe Schmo Blow from PwC who you don't know, and the CEO has to legitimately put their signature on, they're not you know necessarily an expert in accounting. You have this model that is not biased, right? You would hope that can come in and create the P and L, and you would know the efficacy of it is pretty pretty great. I think there's opportunities in legal. Um, there's so much data out there. If you just had a model that could compute a lot of data and learn, um best practices around what to look for from cases that already sort of exist or just how to litigate. I think some of those applications are really exciting. So I think the space is going to be, um, really, really, uh, a big opportunity. There's going to be some winners. And I think we're in the early days. We're in like 1999. I've heard people compare that to of the internet. And I'm really excited to see sort of the enterprise opportunities. I also said
0: that with crypto too. That is a great the, point.
1: They did say that with crypto, which yeah. people are still bullish on crypto. I just don't know. I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I just, I don't know. At one point, I'll admittedly say I was a big advocate for, uh, for crypto. I would say that was probably a little bit, I didn't really know what I was talking about. about the buzz. Yeah, I got a... You know, I, I drink the Kool Aid.
0: Honestly, we had a crypto. I told you with uh, Dark Room, the you know initial digital design service.
1: Yeah. We uh, are they still alive?
0: Uh, I mean, maybe you could buy their thing out there. Maybe you can't. At the time, they were a top one hundred crypto project. Wow. And I was like, these dudes are. I, I sold my shit immediately, like, because they paid me in their currency, or they paid us, and then I got paid through it. I shouldn't. I mean, their stuff boomed, <laughs> and like I got But I was like, "Yo, these guys, like, geez, like these these are the ones leading this, like, and they're paying us to make their website, like, sell, 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 yeah. And like we did, you know, it was actually in hindsight, like, one of the more legit projects, and actually, you know, was trying to create like a new, you know, a different, a differentiated like blockchain product. Uh, but that being said, I was just, I mean, maybe that. In hindsight, we should have been more confident. Oh, if they're working with us, they must be super legit. They must be the most <laughs> We're legit. We're the best. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I mean, I, I, I don't have an opinion, on it, but that's a really fair point. So that's a, a trend that I think is going to be interesting, but I, I've always appreciated and enjoyed your stance of we have all these people that are going to, you know, go out there and celebrate big venture capital fundraisings and, you know, tech products that don't really make a profit until uh, you get to a pretty big scale. Uh, I've always sort of just had a lot of kudos for you with uh investing in physical assets that really produce, you know, returns and being able to take that and allocating it into other, you know, projects and just being successful whether that be digital whether that be with the the boats obviously sequentially the boats came first but you know where I'm getting at um it's been a really really cool journey so
0: yeah and I think again I, it's cool for me at this point to kind of be marrying the physical businesses with the digital ones, you know, like, you know, BNB Calc that helps you start a physical business. Like it's, you know, the digital portion, how to run the numbers, how to analyze properties, BNB pro it's, you know, telling you how you know coaching you on how to, how to do all these things. Uh, And then, but like, ultimately it's a physical business. So it's like digital products that are helping create profitable physical businesses.
1: Yeah. And I mean, people go and download Airbnb Calc. It's, very brilliantly done. Um, it's a great tool. Show People out, are getting a, out a lot of, Parker. getting a lot of value. Parker is a stud and it's only gonna keep getting better. I think Jeremy nailed it on the head when you build a tech product at first, you gotta get feedback, you gotta figure out what the masses want, but you guys have really dialed that in. And it's, yeah, and it's uh,
0: also something, you know, kind of comparing it to you saying TAM earlier, like total addressable market, how big, you know, if, if we were trying to raise money would be what's TAM, I'd be like, I mean, Yeah. I mean, there's not unlimited Airbnb investors out there and there isn't to be frank. Like it's not the biggest TAM in the world, but fuck it. We're just doing it. We'll see where it goes. You know, we'll try to make it a better thing. And if we find reasons to like pivot it to, you know, something that's more mass market, we'll do it, you know, but until then one day at a time. Yeah.
1: And and something you've said to me is like Airbnb and the short-term rental platforms, let's just PRBO and put them all in sort of a bubble together, Uh, they've really democratized uh, in some sense the investment opportunities for, you know, a Jeremy, right? Obviously now you're at a crazy scale, but like a Blackstone comes in and um, can have, you know, so much money that they could just allocate. But for you to be able to come in here and um, sort of have an an advantage because you understand the local market and you know how to operate and you're willing to put the work in on the ground that's really cool. And I guess, what is your long-term outlook in the short-term rental market, just macro level? What do you, do you, do you see? So I think we looked at this yesterday. So Airbnb has 10% of the sort of market share of how many hotel rooms are in a, done in a year, right? From a stay standpoint, where do you think that number could go? Do you think that number Stays around 10. You think it goes to 20, 25 in the next 20 years? So let's just sort of use that as the horizon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, ultimately, Airbnb is a website. Uh, what it made it, I mean, Airbnb and, and Verbo, ma- mainly Airbnb, what they did was. Verbo, not VRBO. Yeah, they, they're now Verbo. Verbo,
1: okay, cool. Um,
0: I've actually talked to the former president of Verbo. No way. Uh, had a conversation with
1: him. Good guy?
0: Yeah, good guy. Um, so uh, nothing ever came from it. I digress. But I mean, ultimately they made it so like traditional vacation rentals, you have like a local firm that people know about and that they call and they you know, set it up where you know, they're, you're gonna meet them at the office and they're gonna give you the key and then you're gonna drive over to the house. And you know, that, that was like the antiquated model of vacation rentals. And it was like, if you were gonna buy a vacation rental, you would have to have like a vacation rental management company. Also internet wasn't as good. So you couldn't, you know, have digital locks and you know, it was hard to communicate with guests. Like, you know, a lot of times these property managers would probably do it over the phone. They wouldn't, you know, message or or go through an app or anything like that. But ultimately what they made it do, yeah, these, these apps made it easy. Like literally all you do is list on the website and they bring traffic to you. Airbnb early on did a lot of ads. You know, people didn't know who Airbnb was. So if you googled something, if you googled, you know, vacation rentals in New Jersey, Jersey Shore, you know, Airbnb would pop up. You know, <laughs> Airbnb was paying a lot of money for ads. Now people know about Airbnb, so they just go to Airbnb. Uh, Verbo pays a lot of money for ads. So essentially, these these websites bring you traffic. But that's ultimately really what they're doing is they're just bringing you traffic. So I think, and this is something I'm trying to do better now, is like, you know, the market where we own four and have four as well as a boat rental business. So at the lake, we're starting to record emails and we're gonna, you know, start hitting our email list with, hey, stay with us, stay with us this summer, rent a boat. Hey, uh, stay with us over Thanksgiving. You know, just reminding them that, you know, they stayed in our houses. So I think um, you know, people wanna rely less on the OTAs, which is uh the channels or, or, or whatever, Airbnb. And they, they want to rely less on the websites and have more you know, that's going to ha- allow people to outcompete. compete Essentially, everybody's listing on the website. So how do you outcompete someone who's getting all their traffic from Airbnb? Well, you have your own email list. You know, you have your own... Airbnb's not spending money on ads anymore. I don't think... I mean, I, I haven't heard of it being very profitable for anyone to, like, run ads, but a lot of things people do is, like, if you have a unique place, someone makes a video about your place. The video goes viral. Bang, you have your own marketing channel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you know you have previous customers. Really, might, they might leave and forget about you. Yeah. Well, you have their email now. So
1: running your own micro campaigns, yeah, right? Like I'd
0: say even email marketing. Yeah. Like or yeah, like like
1: taking media. matters into your own hand. Back mm-hmm. to what we were talking about before, taking action. Yeah, right? exactly. You want to lean on Airbnb? They've reduced their sales and marketing spend, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And <laughs> and there's more supply on Airbnb yeah. now. There's more listings on. Like you said, I mean, Airbnb, you know, the thing we listen to is, is saying that Airbnb is going to grow and, is what just for context, like Tommy sent me a, a research report on Airbnb done by some funny YouTube hedge fund guy. And he was, you know, he's like looking, he's like, wow, yeah, it looks like they're like, I honestly hate Airbnb. I, I don't like staying there, but they're growing. And like, wow, looks like they're going to keep growing and people are going to keep listing. So there's going to be more supply on Airbnb on these websites so how do you, how do you compete with additional supply? So you got to play by the rules of the websites. You have to, you know, do all the best practices to have your listings show up first, uh, to, to have a high, you know, conversion rate when people go to your listings, but ultimately, you know, once they book with you, you now have their email and phone number. So what do you do with that? And I think also companies that help people, you know, make best use of that to get competitive edges, like, and to be frank, like, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know many, you know, a lot of these property management platforms have like direct booking uh, capabilities, but like they suck. Like, I mean, I mean, I love, you know, I like hospitable, they're, you know, serve its purpose, but direct booking is really bad. Uh, there are some that it's better, but that, yeah. And I think the ones who help you build your own internal marketing, you know, so, uh, but the thing about Airbnb, I do like, and like I give Airbnb, and why I think they have such a great moat is their air cover policy. Uh, which is, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhat insurance policy. I mean, it's like quasi-insurance. What is air coverage?
1: Uh, so, so it's like,
0: let's say, you know, I'm you're staying at my property and you break a bunch of stuff. And I say, oh, Tommy broke it. Here, here is like the coupons or here, sorry, here are the receipts of, of the repairs and you don't pay it. Then first they're going to try to get you to pay it. Then they're going to investigate it if they prove that, oh, yep it looks like the guest did this, Airbnb, you know, covers Uh, the, you know, the, the damages same, like for liability, they, they give you liability coverage. Verbo also gives you liability coverage and a lot of platforms do, but Airbnb to my knowledge is like the only one with like, uh, you know, if someone damages the house or breaks all this stuff. They're the only one who actually uh, covers it in that sense. So I think they have a big moat and that's why I like Airbnb is because of their air cover program. Like, to be frank, if they didn't have that program, I would be much less obligated.
1: It'd be a huge risk. even, Right. Well, That's you, you get say. your own insurance, but yeah. like, to
0: be frank, like filing insurance claims sucks. Yeah. It's annoying. It takes a long time. Like it's very antiquated. You email back and forth, you know, it's, they, they're, they they do not have like a, Oh, we have like a two day turnaround. You know, Airbnb has a relatively quick turnaround on these things. So, like, to be honest, I like you experienced
1: that once, right? I'm, yeah, that's a story for a longer day. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm
0: going public with the one you're referencing yet, uh, or, we, or if we have time for that. But yeah, uh, I think Airbnb has a moat. I'm bullish on them. I'm a stockholder. You know, I'm a, I guess, I'm an Airbnb influencer. <laughs> I. Right? But that being said, I think in the future, uh, you know, there's going to be opportunities for those who figure out how to effectively you know, optimize their things by not necessarily relying on, on the platforms. If again, competition on these platforms increases, and it gets harder and harder on them.
1: Yeah. And you bring up a great point. You have all of this data, right? You have all this data of guests that stayed at your house, So houses, not just house, right? Yeah. How do you repurpose that and continue to, you know, put that in play to get repeat customers and people coming back and you already have that and people give you credible reviews, but I don't know. I feel like that's not something a lot of people are thinking about, right? No, Honestly. it's something
0: I definitely wasn't thinking about. Yeah, because I mean, again, also, again, I really do think the benefit of the air cover gives me like a lot of, you know, confidence. Uh, so I do like that. Uh, but yeah, that again, future OTAs, you know, figuring something out is is a, is a prediction on my end.
1: Yeah, and in the, the early days of with Brian Chesky from Airbnb, and just them starting um, the business, right? When they were just getting off the ground, there's some pretty crazy stories that I've heard through.
0: Major kudos to
1: those guys. They were y, Com- y Combinator company, Paul what Graham. Really yeah, that made it. And um, I, there was like stories about how they would like, I think they, in the early days, a lot of the guests weren't doing a great job displaying their properties. So they like- They went and took photos. Yeah, they went around and took photos and uh, helped them get a little bit more virality, but you know, Jeremy, we're here at about an hour and 45 minutes. This has been an incredible uh, conversation. Obviously, we've shared a lot about both of us and, uh, you know, you've been, uh, a, a really big influence in my life and somebody I've looked up to and, uh, a lifelong friend. Uh, we're 26 now, but, um, we'll continue to have a, a really close Partnership and friendship, (laughs) partnership, whatever, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) (laughs) partnership and, and hopefully be able to to do some stuff together down the road. But, um, no, this has been awesome. I'm fired up to continue to see, uh, your journey. Is there any other sort of questions or things that we want to end on here or other, you know, topics that you think would be helpful for us to cover in the, the last couple of minutes?
0: Yeah. So first, Tommy, thanks for having you. Everybody, you know, here at this point, Tommy is a dog. Like he, he ain't no puppy, you know, he goes out there and, you know, he does sales for his new startup or for his, well, not new startup anymore, five years in and he makes it happen. He reaches out to people. I've seen him on, well, practically on the streets or at a bar or at a wedding, he'll go up and he'll have a conversation with somebody. He'll make it very clear. Like, you know, I'm, I'm about that action. You know, this is what I do. What do you do? Can I help you? Can I help your business? I think I can help your business. Let's make a deal. So, you know, Tommy is an action taker. Uh, he's not scared of what people say to him, what people think about him. Uh, you know, so major kudos, and you know, it's been a pleasure watching your growth, and super bullish on on you, and excited for for what the future holds for not only Learn to Win but but your trajectory and uh, you know progression as, as a human being and entrepreneur. So thanks for coming. Where can folk find you uh, if they're looking for
1: you? Yeah. Um, so I'll say uh, thanks for, uh, I don't know about all those remarks, but uh, I'm just trying to be like Jeremy. I'll say that one cool sort of thing, and I didn't touch on it much in the, in the interview, but about two years ago when we were going to break into the, or we were thinking enterprise commercial could be a space for us. Um, I started that, uh, sector at learn to win, uh, what broke us into our first client of Novartis. And at current day, we have 85 different commercial businesses ranging from the fortune 500 to small and middle market. So I uh, really, I think mean, we talked about this throughout, but seeing something from nothing and really putting your, you know, thumb on the scale and making it happen. It's a pretty energizing, uh, feeling. And, you know, I think choosing the path of, uh, Adventure, um, and living with ambiguity is just a great path that everyone should think about. So, um, that's my platitude there and that I'll end on. But in terms of following me, uh, you can follow me via LinkedIn, Tommy Hatton or on Instagram at Hatton96. Jeremy's the real gem here. That's who you want to follow. But, uh, Give me some love. You know, I'd lo- enjoy a follow if you want to reach out, have any questions about sales or watch, watch the ESPN video. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was a young pup, but if yeah, <laughs> it was pretty,
0: I mean, it's on admittedly very funny, but also I know you obviously. So it to do
1: with it. I was quirky at the time. So quirky, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, watch it. And, uh, as Jeremy said, go out there and get it every day. Make it happen and, uh, keep dreaming. Great things are around the corner and, uh, this has been a lot of fun.
0: Beautiful. We'll have to do it again. For you guys watching this, please like, share, follow, subscribe. We're going to be doing more of this. We're going to have more interesting folk on, probably have Tommy on again. So stay tuned. And I hope you guys got some value out of this conversation today.